This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malott. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 2. This season, the focus is on listening to the voices of our Black friends, neighbors, and strangers in order that we might better learn from their experiences of what it's like being Black in America. I can't wait to introduce you to my dear friend, Crystal. In this episode, you might feel a bit like a fly on the wall overhearing two friends just sitting and chatting at the kitchen table, talking about life. Crystal is a licensed professional counselor, certified school counselor, and musician. She began her professional experiences as a middle school and high school orchestra director. Crystal has 19 years of educational experience, seven years as a school counselor, She is also the mom of two incredible high schoolers, Carissa and Ruben, and an all-around hilarious good person. When I think of my times with Crystal, I think of laughter and sunshine. That is what she brings to our friendship, and I'm forever grateful that our paths crossed in this big, beautiful world. She has helped shape my thinking in so many areas. She's a huge encouragement, and you always leave feeling better after time spent in her presence. Because we were just two friends talking, I completely forgot to formally welcome her to the show. So let's just go with it, shall we? We just jumped in and started talking. So grab a cup of coffee or tea, pull up a chair, and join us as we discuss what racism looks like from Crystal's perspective. The first question is, who are the three people, alive or dead, that you would invite to dinner and why? Oh, gosh. See, that's the stuff I was supposed to be thinking about. Um, (laughs) Now it's just going to have to be off the cuff. Michelle Obama. Yes. She's on my list, too. Um, Probably Oprah Winfrey. Mm -hmm. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I want to, like, pick her brain. Mm -hmm. And, oh, my goodness. Just... Mm. I was sad that I didn't really start to, I mean, I knew who she was and I read (laughs) about her and that, but then upon her death, Mm. you know, I just delved even deeper and I was just like, oh my goodness, just the, the path that she paved for Mm -hmm. women and uh, this strong woman she was and how, you know, so supported by her husband and yes just not afraid just living fearless like I I feel like uh, all three of those women just living life fearless and I think of how many things how many times my fear or insecurity holds me back from just different things I just might want to you know do it's like how do you even just begin to just spring off and do that. And, and it doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're seeing the success mm-hmm. uh, of the lives of these yes. women. Yes. And we're hearing the stories of the beginnings, but we weren't there. So I'm sure if you're in their beginnings, you can't see that ending and that success. And some, it's still being written for mm-hmm. Michelle and Oprah. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It's just they still just took every step in faith 
and mm-hmm. believing and never giving up and relentless mm-hmm. on their mission. I just, mm-hmm. I love the title of Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. It's just so yes. perfect because that just encompasses life. We are. Right. I just ever evolving. Genius. Mm-hmm. I took um, I took Carissa to see her. She came you guys to got to see her. Oh my. Gosh. Yes, ma'am. Lucky you. I was like, I can't imagine the energy I, in that room. Oh, it was just, uh, I, we were on cloud nine. I mean, Carissa looked over, that was what, two years ago. And um, at the end, she just, thank you, mom. Oh, that was so wonderful. I mean, and she was 14 at the time, but her life was forever changed. And I was going to say, what I an impact. Needed to go. Yeah. A life I, lasting. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, those are just moments that you like, there are moments I've let slip away and didn't embrace or didn't, you know, but I was like, mm-mm. Mm-hmm. not anymore. <laughs> I was like, Michelle's mom going to be in Dallas. Oh yeah. We're going. So did you it always just- have that idea that my skin color is not accepted or appreciated as much as other people's. Did, was that just a, a natural, normal thought growing up? But I know you had a, a white dad. Right. I so, <laughs> so, I mean, you grew up with an interesting dichotomy of you're the most accepting person I know, but did you feel that acceptance from your community or your families? Not at first, no. I mean, my dad, so my, my dad married my mom when I was five and then he adopted me. So then I had his last name. Mm -hmm. And so that spiraled for me just because I was this clearly black girl with this Polish last name Mm -hmm. with a white father that I called dad because he was the only dad I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going to a predominantly white school where there were, you know, there were few black kids, but not as many, I wasn't really accepted in either group mm. because I lived in the white neighborhood with the white father, with the white last name spoke. I talked white. Like that was, something I was told. I was called Oreo. I was called, um, the first thing I was called and I didn't get it was, um, someone called me an Eskimo pie and I, I had never had an Eskimo pie. So I didn't know what an Eskimo pie was, but it was funny, not funny. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They were trying Mm -hmm. to insult me, but I didn't get the reference because (laughs) Of course you did. I, I grew up poor and we didn't have fancy names for our ice cream if we got it. It was like <laughs> the great value ice cream bar. Like it didn't, say, it didn't say Eskimo pie on my box. <laughs> I love it. I was on WIC and Medicare and Medicaid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, so I just remember like, and it didn't, it was years, mm. years before I realized, oh, 
It's the ice cream bar that's white on the inside with chocolate on the outside. That's mm-hmm. what you were trying to call. Oh. <laughs> and then you were offended years later. And then I was right. And I was like, I, I remember when they called me an Eskimo pie. And I was yeah. like, okay. I was like, is it my eyes? Like, I was <laughs> just trying to think, what is an Eskimo? Like, I was literally thinking of the person, the mm-hmm. Eskimo. I was like, yeah. I don't get it. I really think you're trying to insult me, but I don't get it. And it was because I never had one, but Uh that was, you know, a privilege they had something they had growing up that, you know, I never heard of. So your insult fell flat, but then they called me Jenny from the Jeffersons. It was different things like that was coming from black friends really yeah yeah that's what they would call me so racism going both ways white people against you and black people against you yes wow that was pretty much growing up elementary middle school high school you know i I recently finished um, ibram x kendi's book about um how to be anti-racist I was really surprised because I'd read other books that said black people cannot be racist, but mm. he goes through the whole book saying, uh, yeah, and I had to work on myself. I had to see my own racist tendencies and I had to confront those because I was much easier to see it in somebody else and not myself. And I was really surprised. I mean, his whole book is very self-reflective um, and causes anybody of any color to be like, oh, I, I didn't know that was considered racism either. Right. Um, that was news to me. I, I really didn't think Black people could be racist. And I don't think they would call it that. Like, I, I honestly don't think those friends or those kids that would say those things to me would consider that racism. They Just being funny? Yeah. They just thought, oh, it's funny. Um, she can handle it, you know. And I would laugh it off. I laugh off a lot of things, but my humor has always been my um, mm-hmm. defense mechanism mm-hmm. and what has gotten me through. So I could laugh a lot of things off. Um, on the outside, on the inside, I was like, okay, well, which camp do I belong in? And it was just, it was always, and I had friends of both, you know, black and white friends, but it just, it, it, you could only go so far within each group. So, I imagine. And then I played the violin and I was in <laughs> orchestra. So it's like. Yeah. I um we went to see Bennett and I went to see this, these two guys called, it was called Black Violin. These, yes. Uh, I loved them. They're and so he, he was saying something about that same exact thing. He's like, black violinist is just not a thing. You just don't it's see that very often. They're fabulous. They yes. are so good. But they were after me. So when I went, like I remember, I remember very vividly going to, I was in seventh grade or eighth grade. Went to all region auditions, and I was the only black student in the audition. And this is region, so this is like 
several districts coming together. I mean, they're probably about, I don't know, 150 oh violinists God. there. Competing. What does it feel like to be the only person of color in a room full of white people or other I ethnicities? Mean, it's going, I hate to say this, it feels normal. It like, does. You just, it's something you're a little more used to as it goes along. I mean, today, like we can go to restaurants and we're the only black people in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. I can go to a store and I'm the only black person in the store. I mean, it just, it's not, I guess because of where I live or where, I don't know, it's still just not something that um, is uncommon. So it almost begins to feel normal and you expect it. Um, and it's not like this light shines on you and it's like, oh, there. but, and other people don't necessarily notice, mm -hmm. but you're not going to mm -hmm. because it's not you. Like mm -hmm. if, if I'm out at a restaurant, on a girl's night or something and I'm the only one they don't notice because we're just all talking laughing mm -hmm. having a good time whatever they mm -hmm. they don't take in the room yeah I walk in I assess um I assess a room because it kind of I don't know it's not that you have to be prepared but kind of like, so would you rather the the ladies in your girls night take notice or mention something or do you appreciate the fact that we're just all hanging out together and we don't have to bring up the fact that one of us is not like the other i mean i don't i don't know <laughs> no, what, what is I don't, I don't need them to notice i just i mean because it's not anything you make a big deal out of or yeah. it's it just it's just you take note of wow well, I would feel that when we were, we'd spent time together. I remember when we did that one book study with a neighbor across the street, it just didn't dawn. We we're just three women right, doing this whole study. It had nothing to do with skin color or even religion or even, it was just, we have the same commonality. Let's do this. Um, right. And I just didn't give it a second thought. Ever. And most people don't. And that's good. Because that means, you know, it's just not on the forefront of your mind. I think for us, especially like if we go to a restaurant or, you know, just certain places, you start to, like if you're at a restaurant and the waiter doesn't come over immediately and then you take in the room and then you wonder, oh, is it because? So oh. if you start framing things through uh -huh. the lens of, is this happening because I'm black or is this happening because we're the only black? Are we, is it okay that we're in, are we accepted in this environment in wow. this restaurant? And so you're like, did it take that table as long to get water as it took our table to get mm -hmm. water? And if not, or why did they get waited on before us? Mm -hmm. So it's not uh, just a, a matter of, well, this restaurant has terrible service. It's, is it us? Or is it the service? Right. And that's uh -huh. what one of my friends who, you know, she was asking, she truly didn't understand white privilege 
what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What was it? And I, and I, you know, sure. It's not a bad thing. It, it's just the different way I frame scenarios that happen in my life that you'd never have to entertain. So true because everything's in our favor already. So we're not aware of it. And Mm -hmm. learning about white privilege is making you more aware of just stop, step back and think about it through a different frame, a different lens and like your lens. I said, you would look at the restaurant, you know, and think, Oh, it has bad service. And you put it on them. Mm-hmm. I my first inclination is it because of who I am, not thinking about the bad service. But mm-hmm. is it bad service because of who I am? Mm-hmm. You're able to say, oh, it's bad service. If your daughter doesn't make cheerleader, it's you know, oh, the you know, the judge didn't like her or this or that. But you don't have to say, but is it because they didn't want a black cheerleader? Yeah. Like you don't have to frame things through that. Yeah. And do I have to know, but is it, is it there? Is it? Yeah. I mean, always because sometimes that is an issue. Sometimes that, that it's like when, like I'm a, a counselor and in our department, we already had two black counselors and I had another friend who wanted to interview and she's like, oh, y'all already have two black clowns. Like you don't count the number of white people on a staff mm-hmm. and go, oh, they might not hire me because they already have mm-hmm. one of these. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, but, and thankfully ours doesn't think that way, but it's just because of the way your mind is trained and life experiences, mm-hmm. you start thinking about things in that way where, oh, they already have two black counselors. They might not mm-hmm. hire another one. Whereas if it's a good company, if it's a good school, they're looking for quality and they're looking at your, your qualifications and what you can do, not the color of your skin determines how many of these counselors we have. Or sometimes they're like, oh, well, you got this job because you are Black, because they needed a minority to represent the students here so that they see someone that looks like them in leadership. So it's not based on your qualifications or your schooling, (laughs) the whole affirmative action stuff, which if you really study affirmative action, wasn't even geared first and foremost, to African-Americans. It was geared towards getting just women in the workforce. But nobody knows that little detail. We always push it off on. I also am very cognizant of the group. And so you kind of know what you can say, how you can say things, Mm -hmm. depending on who's in the room. Because you know how it will be received. I always look at, friendships and people and in terms of a dartboard and so it depends on which ring they are in that dartboard how Mm -hmm. far out depends you know determines my level of comfort in saying you know what I'm really feeling or what I'm analyzing how wise because you because everybody you know when people don't know your heart and people don't know you and where you're coming from Mm -hmm then, you know, is is she just an angry black woman and everything is, you know, about race? Well, Mm -hmm. well, if you don't know me 
and I say the wrong thing, mm-hmm. then that might be the perception you have of me. But mm-hmm. if you know me, then you're like, oh, Crystal hardly ever says that. So, you know, this must be, it's, I find that people take note when they respect what you're saying and they know you wouldn't say it if it wasn't something that was, you know, important or you've just made an observation, but when they don't know you, they don't know how often you may say those things. So they might think that's something you always say. If she doesn't get her water on time, she always thinks it's because she's black. Whereas if you're with me and you have dined with me several times or, and I've never said that, and then I say it one time, then mm-hmm. you're like, oh my goodness, you know, mm-hmm. I, that's, that might be true. Yeah. Do you ever um, worry or are you concerned for your, and for Ruben with the whole with police, this whole, like, did, when did you have a conversation with him or have you ever about? Oh yeah. Reuben has, he gets a lot of comments. And so does Carissa. I mean, they both do. I just, you know, but especially black men are the, the worst targets, aren't they? The, uh, Oh yeah. I mean, in this, the most vulnerable climate that we've had in most recent, within the last, what, seven, eight months, nine months, it's, it's really brought awareness to the um, parents of Ruben's friends because I actually had a couple that sent me long text um, messages just about, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about Ruben. Um, We're here for you. Please tell us how we can help. Please educate us. Um, can we have a conversation? You know, they wanted to know more. And how about did that what make you feel? Like to raise a, a black son uh-huh. in the climate that we were in. Um, I appreciated it. I appreciated them recognizing that, you know, there is a different way in which I raise my son and that which they have to raise theirs. Mm-hmm. And so it was very enlightening for them because so many didn't realize these are conversations I've had with Ruben since he was old enough to leave my presence and go hang out with friends Mm -hmm. that we've always had conversations before he left. Mm -hmm. Look, you need to make sure that you do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure that there, you are not a part of any trouble that goes on. You need to make sure like those are things that, before he leaves his house and you are a man of valor, you're a man mm-hmm. of honor, you represent our family. Um, God loves you, you know, just all those different things. But, you know, he would want to go hang out at the mall with his friends and nothing made me more nervous than him going to hang out at the mall with his yeah. friends being the only little Brown boy sometimes, mm-hmm. um, most of the time. And I would just tell him, you, if there's any mischief in a store, you are not to be a part of it mm-hmm. because you're going to be the first one they suspect. Mm-hmm. If anything is going on and your friends are there, they're going to look at all that group and they're going to suspect you first. So when he says, but mom, that's not fair. What, how do you respond? He didn't say, he doesn't say anything. He just takes it in. Um, he's very introspective. So, you know, 
it won't seem fair, but that's just the way it is, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it's very unfortunate, but you mm-hmm. need to know that. I said, and I pray I'm wrong. I mm-hmm. hope that that would not be the case, but I feel like I just have to be realistic with that. Oh, and being prepared. You have to give them the tools and the right. knowledge and, ahead of time. And it, we've had, I mean, since even before this, the, your hands are up. So the, the, I mean, those are not conversations that those other moms had to have with their sons. And they, they maybe, sir, you know, heard about it on the news or whatever, but up until recent, they really didn't get it. And so then when they were sending the notes and what can we do? And mm-hmm. I, I would tell them, I said, you, I said, the best thing is educating your sons so that they know the struggles that Reuben might have that Reuben yeah. doesn't even know about. So yeah. I said, for instance, if something happens at the mall and they get scared and they all want to run, mm-hmm. that they don't run that they stay with Ruben because he's been taught to not run. Mm-hmm. He's been taught <laughs> you stay there mm-hmm. and you do what they, and I said, but if all of his friends scatter and leave him by himself, then there's no one there to mm-hmm. fend for him. There's no one there to support him that, you know, so that they never leave him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they always have his back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's and such like, good wisdom. Like, I love how the parents reached out and tried to be allies and they, they kept the relationship and the communication open. But I love how you said to educate the kids themselves. And you would think, well, at least I would hope, that the kids are growing up around a lot more multiculturalism, a lot more, a lot of different ethnicities, more so. You would hope inclusion would be a little bit more of a common frame of mind than exclusion. At least that's my idealistic, optimistic self-talking. I don't know. Have your kids experienced that? Because I know you live in a very um, well-to-do, mostly white suburban neighborhood. And I know like poor Carissa, even in her, her sports teams, Sometimes she's been the lone black girl. Has she experienced more inclusion with her teammates or does she feel ever pushed to the side? These are the same girls she's grown up with. Right. So are they more accepting of her? They are. I mean, I think there are times that she will have, you know, it'll cast a little doubt on certain things, but for the most part, she's, yeah, she's been with these kids since before kindergarten. So it's kind of like just finding that core, that group. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think in their generation, they see it as much. They, the, I think the kids are more inclusive than the parents are. Agreed. I was going to say, do you think she has it better than you had it growing up in a similar situation? I think so. Just because my parents didn't talk about it very much. And if anybody should have talked about it more, it probably should have been them. <laughs> Just because, you know, well, people are going to look at you strange when you say your name's Crystal Chernosky and this is why. Like, <laughs> no, there was never no explanation. <laughs> well, your parents were defying the times, even they in, were. in their generation. I mean, love was what 
was what motivated them, not the mm-hmm. law. So, wow, I guess it was just, just suck it up and move forward. Right? Basically. Yeah. So I think they just didn't talk about it as much. And Randall and I, we, we you know, we, we address it with the kids just because they need to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that these are diff- there's different things that you can encounter, but they don't define you and you can rise above it. Um, and sometimes people's actions aren't necessarily reflective of what's in their heart. They just, I don't know, might say stupid things or, you know, and I think everybody's guilty of making flippant comments about different races and ethnicities Mm -hmm. and, you know, different Mm -hmm. things that they don't think will be offensive, but you just don't really know if you're not in that skin, if you're not. And that's not just black. I mean, that's just any race. I mean, yeah you know, the, the microaggression of, of the Indian culture and they're all smart. I mean, and I mm-hmm. deal with that with my students, I bet. you know, at school and that's hard for them. Um, I realized, um, I was guilty of it as well. I remember this stands out in my mind blatantly because I felt so horrible about it. I remember coming over to your house once and I think I had just finished watching a game or something, a basketball game on TV. And I mean, I just love basketball so much, but I'm five, four. I can't, I can't do anything. I can play free throw shooting contest and be good, but that's about as much as I got. And um, I remember coming over to your house and I remember saying, um, uh, we were talking about basketball and I said, yeah, a tall black girl lives inside of me. And if I could be a basketball player, that's what I would be. And at the time I thought I was saying a compliment and you like, you said, Corey, you don't mean that. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then like, I didn't pursue it. I say, I realized that was not taken as a compliment. I said something wrong and I didn't have the guts to say, what should I have said? What did I say wrong? Cause I wasn't, I, I wasn't educated about it at the time, but, and cause it never occurred to me. I mean, we were just friends. It never occurred to me that that would be a microaggression as I see it now. Um, but in your gentle way, as you always do, you just said, oh yeah, you probably don't want to say that and just let it go. You probably have no memory, memory of it, but I was I just, it's, it was seared in my heart. I'm like, oh, Corey, you idiot. You made a horrible mistake. <laughs> and it was all because I just wanted to play basketball. <laughs> but that's a microaggression because it not only tall black girls are good at basketball. I mean, that was my stupid understanding of it at the time. And so like you, like you just said, a lot of people are ignorant and things come out that they don't mean. Um, Mm -hmm. And so just being willing to talk about it or being willing to admit, oh, I stuck my foot in my mouth. (laughs) Well, and that's what, you know, it's our church has really encouraged us to be the conduit to have those uncomfortable conversations Mm -hmm. or allow people to, you know, just come and talk about different things that they might say that, is this offensive or why is this offensive? It's that balance of walking on eggshells and just being aware. Mm -hmm. And considerate. Not being offensive. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of like, how do you do that? 
and we're all kind of learning together. I think we have to be able to mess up together, accept the mess ups, be patient, be kind, not feel like you're walking on eggshells, feel free to still be who you are, but also accept that correction or that call out and, and be humble enough to say, oh, okay, I'm sorry. What would be better? You know, that, that's great. I'm so glad your church is encouraging that. I well, and I that. think it's hard because one person might be accepting of someone saying certain things, whereas it is totally offensive to another person of the same race. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, I think that creates a little confusion sometimes. Yes. Um, because I said it to this friend and he was fine with it. He was cool. He was chill. Well, it's like, was he, or did he just act like it? Mm. Or like I said, with the dartboard, do you guys have a different relationship? And so he knows your heart. And so even though it, it might not ever be okay, he knows where you're coming from. And he's where a lot more forgiving. Else, yeah. Right. You, you have to know your audience. That is such a great visual. I love the dartboard idea because yeah, you don't share the same things with all of your friends in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep that visual because I was talking to another gentleman in the first season and I asked him if he ever felt discriminated against because of his, um, his ethnicity. And he's like, no, I just choose not to see it that way. He's like, they might be having a bad day or he gives everybody the benefit of the doubt. And he just says, yeah, maybe he meant it a different way and he couldn't have meant it that way. Or he's just so positive and gives people the benefit of the doubt over and over again that he doesn't see discrimination towards himself at all. And I was really actually shocked um, because I thought everybody who was um, not white felt that way. And he totally blew that theory out of the water. And uh, it was interesting to me, his, just his view of life and how he chose to look at everybody. I wish I could be that, that positive and that strong. Well, that, that gives him peace. It does. If he, and, and I get it, like you giving people the benefit of a doubt and not believing that very intentionally meant harm Mm -hmm. or offense or what have you, it it does help you get through that. Like you just don't, you don't want to walk around looking around every corner for, you know, Mm -hmm. what do they mean by that? Or what is that? Or Mm -hmm. why did they say that? Or what, you know, that's just not a way to live. And so I get it. Like, yeah, that benefit of a doubt gives you peace and it makes the journey a little easier. So true. Well, um, in our closing questions, what is your one tip to make the world a better place? I think if people just be kind, Mm. like Mm -hmm. think outside of yourself, um, not walk in other people's shoes, but I, I just think kindness. I think so, so many things, everybody has to be right about everything. Yes. And there's, there's nothing wrong with being different. Like we can have different opinions, 
you're it's not right or wrong mm -hmm. and everyone just has to be right and convince you that you're wrong it gets old doesn't it you need to come up and it's like no it does mm -hmm. <laughs> just the arrogance yeah that i'm right you're wrong just just be nice be kind yeah. what are you the most thankful for i'm thankful for god's mercy um i'm thankful for life experiences that have shaped me into being the person that i am i'm thankful for the support and the the people that god has placed in my life um good and bad mm -hmm. but yeah that's good. That's awesome that you're able to be thankful for the good and the bad. So many of us think we're only blessed when the good things happen, but we don't see the blessing that comes out of the, the bad or the negative, the things that didn't go our way. We don't see the growth that comes from that and to be right. thankful for it. I mean, you building resilience and, you know, that's just the, that resilience is what gets you through life. And that doesn't come without having some kind of negative experience, some kind of hurdle, obstacle that you have to get over. You learn through that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just, you know, thankful for those experiences. Um, what was your biggest hurdle? Oh, Lord. Um, you don't have to share it if you don't want to. That's okay. I can't even think. <laughs> I feel like I'm writing my college essay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does sound like one, doesn't it? Yeah, I've been reading a lot of those. Well, and helping students with mm -hmm. what's ma'am, what's my biggest hurdle? Because that's that's one of the essay questions. And it's kind of hard to I don't know, because you got over it. So was that a big yeah, one? You know, exactly. Like, it takes a lot of self-reflection. Mm -hmm. And when you like you said, when you're looking back at the time, it probably seemed huge, but other things have happened since then they just build on each other and you start right. seeing them for what they are and you you know you can't avoid the pain or avoid the conflict or avoid the hurdle you have to walk through it right but it, it's all good you still see it for the good that it is exactly i mean that's what that's where the thankfulness comes in because you got through it and mm -hmm. it made you the person you are mm -hmm. sure um, and stronger for the next one. So I think each obstacle builds strength. And so that next one, you, you know, you get through it a little easier than that yeah. first one because of what you learned from the experience previously. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. If you didn't, if you chose to not learn <laughs> when you went through it, well, that's good that's luck. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. I'm glad those, those uh, high schoolers have you as their counselor because you dispense such great advice in such a, an understanding relative manner. And I wish I had you for a counselor when Aww. I was in high school. <laughs> Thank you. Well, my final, final question. What is your favorite quote? Um, ooh, I have several. Um, one I say often is when people show you who they are, believe them. Ooh. Um, when they show you who they are, when not show when they you say. Who they are, believe them the first time. Um, 
Wow. And then my Angelo, when you know better, you do better. Yes. Love that. I have that one written down too. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like sometimes we learn and we know better, but we, we repeat the same behaviors. We repeat the same mistakes and, and everyone's guilty of that. But I just, you know, I always say, okay, she said, when you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I really try, try to um, live by just, you know, what has this lesson taught me? What am I going to do better in the future because of, of that experience? Mm-hmm. Um, I wish we could do this like once a week. I think my <laughs> life would be better for it. Yeah. Could have the Corian Crystal Zoom Club. Okay. <laughs> CNC. CNC. Oh, I miss this makes me miss you as my neighbor so much. And I know. We didn't have long enough. And I totally I did not take advantage of the time that we had. I know. Me too. But I have well, totally so enjoyed our it. time. Like I don't I I are you sure you're off the we hook. did it? Do you do you, you want sure? me to I can come up with more questions if you want me to. We no, did it all. I, just, I don't know if I answered them correctly. There's no correct answer. Okay, I'm gonna flip the table now. I'm gonna be the counselor. Crystal, there's no correct answer. There's no right <laughs> one right way. It's your answer. This is your life. You're responding it based on your experiences and how you see the world. And I like how you see the world. <laughs> Thank someday. you so much for your time, Crystal. This is absolutely. It's my wonderful. pleasure. I love Crystal's dartboard analogy. Man, I wish I thought of that. I can apply that to all of my relationships. I know Crystal said she uses humor as a defense mechanism, but I really appreciate that she is that self-reflective enough to know this about herself. Being able to voice that to others, that you know how you try to deflect uncomfortable situations, that just shows such a deep knowledge of oneself and comes from a place of humility and authenticity. I have learned from watching Crystal's example that I too wish to be able to be that vulnerable and to admit my own defenses to others instead of making excuses and justifications for my actions. Crystal's counseling expertise is a definite bonus in being able to help navigate these often muddy waters of racism and relationships for herself, her kids, as well as the high schoolers she serves. I have a deep respect for how she is thankful for all the trials and hardships of her life, for she knows she wouldn't be the person she is today without them. You know you've reached the pinnacle of maturity when you can look your past in the face and see how all of it, the good and the bad, has worked collectively to create the person you are today. There's an ancient Chinese proverb that says, The gem cannot be polished without friction nor man perfected without trials. May we all see the friction we encounter as just another day of being polished, as Crystal has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road. <laughs>